turn to the book of Haggai, the book of Haggai, and we will be in chapter number two, when there's only two chapters. So we will finish the little book tonight. A little book, but it's a, it's a powerful book. Uh, if you remember last week or last time we looked at this, uh, Haggai was being used by the Lord. He was a voice uh, crying out to these people who had come back from captivity and uh, they had the privilege of coming back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city. And when they got there, all they could see was a city in ruins. And the temple it was just totally destroyed. And, and so they were really discouraged. And they just came to the point where they felt that the task was just too daunting for them. And so they kind of gave it up. And they went back to their own homes and started using their time and their energy and their money to, to rebuild their own homes and kind of gave up on the work of the Lord. And so the Lord sends Haggai to, to tell them, look, get back to work. I know this thing, uh, this is the message from the Lord. I know this task seems impossible, but uh, if you put the Lord's work first, then the Lord will be with you, and when the Lord's with you, you can do anything. And so that's the message that they heard in the first chapter, and they, they heeded the message, and they went back to work. And so as we come to chapter number two, they've been to work at, at work on the temple for about a month. They've been preparing the foundation and uh, the temple's going up and a lot of the people are excited. They, they see the building going up and, and uh, they're just, you know, they're just like, wow, this is really cool. And, and uh, the, but there were others who had seen Solomon's temple, some of the older people, and they realized that this new temple wasn't in the league of Solomon's temple. And so they were destroyed. And so, uh, uh, distraught, and so uh, Haggai comes with another exhortation beginning in chapter number 2 to try to encourage these people and, and listen to what he says beginning in verse number 1. He says, in the seventh month of the 20, on the 21st of the month, and this is a few months after the last message, after they started the work on the temple, the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, and he says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, those people that are, have come back into the land. And this is, what I want you to, this is what I want you to hear. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Those of you who saw Solomon's temple. And, and look at this temple now, he says, and how do you see it now? In comparison with, with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? So all of these people who had seen Solomon's temple, they were young when they saw it, and they were children when they saw it, but it was a glorious sight to see until it was destroyed. It was overlaid in gold, and the sun would hit that gold, and the, the temple would glow, and, and the very presence of God was in that temple, and, and they had seen that temple, and now this new temple is going up, and they realize it's not going to be anything in comparison to Solomon's temple. It's going to be a shack in compared to Solomon's temple. And so they're greatly distressed, and, you know, whenever you're distressed, that's, that's kind of contagious, isn't it? I mean, when you're depressed, uh, 
you, may, you can make others depressed. And, and that's what was happening. And so God gives them this word of encouragement. But before we look at any more at the word of encouragement, I want you to go back and I want you to look at the setting here back in the book of Ezra. Go back towards Genesis all the way past the Psalms. You get to Second Chronicles, you've gone too far. But go to Ezra and look in chapter number 3. Ezra chapter number 3. And look down at verse number 10. Ezra, everybody there? Ezra 3, verse number 10. It says, when the builders laid the foundation, and that's right where we're at in, this, in, in Haggai chapter 2. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, and they were all singing praises to the Lord with cymbals, uh, according to the ordinance of King David of Israel, and they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. So it was looking like a really happy day, the day they finished the foundation, and the building was about to go up. And all the people shouted with a great shout, the end of verse number 11, when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the fathers, the elder man, the old man, who had seen the first temple, they weren't shouting for joy. They wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted for joy. So you got two groups of people shouting. One is shouting with a weeping noise and the other is shouting with joy. So that the people couldn't distinguish the noise. I mean, the people, the, 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 the bystanders who were watching what was going on, they couldn't tell what was going on here. I mean, were these people happy or were they sad? Well, some of them were happy and some of them were sad. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy for the noise of the weeping and the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout and those that weep, weep with a loud shout. And the sound was heard afar off. That's how loud they weeped and that's how loud they shouted for joy. So the Lord tells the elders in, in verse number four, go back to Haggai chapter two and look down at verse number four and listen, he's going to encourage them. He knows that they're upset because this temple isn't living up to Solomon's temple. So he tells them now in verse number four, and he talks to the leaders first. He says, yeah, now be strong, Zerubbabel. He's the governor. He's the leader. Says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the high priest, the son of Jehozadak. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. Don't quit because you're discouraged, for I am with you. Now, that's very important to where he's heading here. The most important thing to these people wasn't the building. The most important thing to these people was that the Lord was with them. And that's what the point the Lord's going to make. And he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the armies of the heavens. He's the Lord of all power and glory. And so he can do anything he wants. And he's present with you. According to the word that I commanded, no, I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you, do not fear. And, and really by do not fear here, he's talking about don't give up, don't quit. 
In other words, what God is saying to them, the same God, Jehovah God, who was with your forefathers when they came out of Egypt, the same God who dwelt in the tabernacle out in the wilderness, the same God who dwelt in Solomon's temple is the same God who will be housed in your new temple. It's not about the building. It's about me. So he says, don't quit. Keep working because Jehovah Sabaoth is with you. Now, when we get to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is going to tell this same crew of people, he's going to say, do not despise the day of small things. And, and because the Lord, he'll go, he'll go on to say, because the Lord rejoices in your work. Because if God is in our work, then whatever we do, it's a great thing, no matter how small it seems to others. I mean, if a great God is in your work, then you're doing a great work. You know, I visit sometimes, not much anymore, but I used to, when I made conventions, I would visit some of these mega churches with these beautiful buildings and these large crowds. And it's real easy when you go into a building like that to get discouraged. And, and you begin to wonder if, if the little work we're doing here in this little church in this little city is really worthwhile. But then I come here on Wednesday night and we've got a handful of people here. And when I'm here, I sense the presence of God. I sense the presence of God in our worship. Not always, but most of the time. In our prayers, not always, but most of the time. In our Bible study, not always, but most of the time. And when I sense God's presence in what we're doing, I realize that, hey, this work is worth doing. Because a great God is present. No matter how big the crowd is, no matter how nice the building is, the same God that's present in the nicest, biggest church in the world, if he's there... He's present here tonight on Wednesday night. You know, I run into people all the time and say, you know, God's not doing any mighty work in me. He's not doing any great work in me. Man, let me tell you what. If you're truly a Christian, the same God who took the Israelites out of Egypt is in you. The same God who dwelt in Solomon's temple in all his glory dwells in you. The same God who dwelt in Zerubbabel's temple, the temple that we're looking at now being built as we, as we look at this narrative in Haggai chapter 2. He's in you. And if God dwells in you, let me tell you what, for some of you, it's more so than for others. He's doing a great work. I know he's having to do a really great work in me to get me where he wants me to be. And that's true for some of you too. But God doesn't just want to do a great work in us. He wants to do a great work through us. And he can do a great work through any of us because he is a great God. Not because we're great. Remember what Jesus told the church at Philadelphia? You have a little strength. But that little strength was, was great because it was the object of their faith was great. The object of their faith was none other than Jesus Christ. And he's the object of our faith. And so he can do anything. Through us. And one day, the same God who lives in us is going to shake the heavens and He's going to shake the earth. And we're going to go through the great tribulation 
And he's going to return back to this earth. Look at verse number six. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it's only a little while. It's getting a lot closer. I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth, the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. And, they, and when all of that's over, they shall come to the desire of the nations. Who's the desire of the nation? The same God who lives in you. The same God that's going to do that mighty work during the great tribulation, that's going to shake the nation, shake the world, and turn the world to him and destroy those who are against him. That same God dwells in us. And he's going to dwell in Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. And he says, he says, and I will fill this temple. This temple on this spot will be filled with a glory like this earth has never seen. When I live here and I'm present here in all my glory. That's what the Lord's saying to these people. This is holy ground. This is a great spot, a great place where you're working. It doesn't look so great right now. But you just wait. I'm going to do great things right here. The glory and the glory of this latter temple, the temple during the millennium, and really that temple, I'm going to tell you what, he's talking more than a building. He's talking about Jesus Christ himself on earth. And when you, Jesus Christ lives on this earth, we're going to care less about the building he's dwelling in. It's going to be all about him. And he says the glory of that latter temple where God dwells and all the fullness of God dwells bodily. He says the glory of that latter temple shall be greater than the former. He's talking about Solomon's temple. It'll be much greater. And so you're just an in-between thing. But, you're, but I'm going to dwell in this temple. The same God that's going to dwell in, 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 in glory is going to dwell in, in the temple that you're building right now, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace when we go into the millennium, says the Lord of hosts. And he will be the desire of all the nations. Because everybody that's left on this earth will love the Lord, or will be, at the very least, they will be obedient to the Lord. And they will live in righteousness and peace and truth. And the Lord says, hey, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. I can do anything I want. I can build a temple. I can build a temple like nothing like any man has ever seen. But that's really not going to be the most glorious part of the temple. The most glorious part of the temple is going to be the Lord himself. And he's telling these people, he's telling these people that I'm with you. And that's what really matters. That's basically the message that he's given right here. But you need this temple. And he's going to show them why they need this temple. But they're encouraged now. Haggai gives them this word and they understand the word. They understand that the most important thing they have going for them is the presence of the Lord himself. And he's making it very clear that he's present to them. And so they're excited, and they go back to work, and, and they're doing well. And so a couple of months pass, and we get another word from the, the Lord through the prophet Haggai, and that's where we'll pick up in verse number 10. He says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. And he's going to give them a little questionnaire here. And he's going to use this questionnaire to teach them a lesson. And so we want to listen real carefully to these questions that, the, that, that uh, he asked the priest. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the priest concerning the law, say, you ought to be able to answer these questions. If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, 
And with the edge of that holy meat, he touches bread, stew, or wine, or oil, or any food. And these things aren't necessarily unclean. But the question is, will they become holy? I'll let you, you answer that before we get God's answer. What's the answer to that? By you, does something holy take something that's inanimate, that's really uh, not that important? Does it make it holy? I mean, does just touching things make it holy? Can I, if I'm holy, can I touch you and make you holy? No. No, that's, that, that's the point he's making here. He said, and, and, and the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, and he's going to reverse this thing now. The question's going to go in reverse. If one who is unclean, for any reason, but he uses the case of a dead body. But if you've done something that makes you unclean, and when the, the reason a dead body is used because death is symbolic of what? What causes death? Sin. So he's really talking about their sin. If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, and any of these would be stew, wine, oil, any food, which in and of themselves they're not unclean, but if they're unholy, if something unholy touches any of these things or touches something that's holy, will it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is this people. You're unclean. He's making a case. You're unclean. You're building the temple, but you are unclean. He says, so is, he says, then Haggai answered and says, so is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. Here the Lord has called them to do this great work of building this temple. But he reminds them that you're unclean. You're unclean and everything you're touching is unclean. And what they offer there, he says, is unclean. Now, he's not so much rebuking them for their sin. That's, that, that's the way a lot of people tra- uh, interpret this, that this is all about, hey, you people are unclean. You need to straighten up if you want to build the temple. That's not what he's doing at all. What he's doing is he's trying to show them the purpose, the reason they need a temple. That's what he's trying to show them. And, and there might have been a situation where, where God had rebuked them for their impurity. And, and, and I imagine if God had rebuked them for their impurity, you know what they would have said? Look, we're not near as bad as our father's. You know, look at the sins that they committed and they were, they were, they were destroyed and taken into captivity. Hey, we've learned our lesson. We're, we're bad. All of us sin, but we don't sin near as bad as they do. And the point that God's going to try to make to them is there's only one way that I will accept you in my presence. And that is absolute holiness. It's a message a lot of people need to get. Religious people who think somehow that their good works can outweigh their bad works. That's not the case. What he's saying here is anything you do bad, anything you do bad makes you unclean. It makes you unholy. And all the good works you do in the world won't undo those things that make you unclean. And so all the holiness in the world can't purify one little sin of unholiness. We know that, don't we? As born-again believers, we know that. So he uses this illustration to make the point that they need 
a temple, that they are unclean and they need to be clean. And how, do we, how were they to get clean in that age? Through the sacrificial system, which pointed to Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and ultimately purified us 100% and keeps us pure by his blood. And, and so it's real easy to see what God's trying to say to them. I, li I like using the illustration I've seen before of, of pure water. You take pure water and you take a tablespoon of sewage and you put it in that pure water, you're going to drink out of that gallon of water. What if I put 50 gallons of water in there, you're going to drink out of that water? No, or 100 gallons, you're not going to drink out of that water because that impurity has made that water totally unclean. And so what seemed like insignificant sin to them, hey, we're not near as bad as our forefathers, they were unclean. And no matter how much good they did, all this work they were doing on the temple, all the good things that they were doing, and they probably had learned a lot of lessons from, from this captivity, and they didn't want to go back in captivity again, so they were probably living pretty holy lives. They just weren't holy. None of that was going to make them holy. And so they needed a temple. And that's what God's trying to show them. Hey, it's not so much about how big the temple is. It's about God being present in that temple and God making a way for you to cover your sins. And for 70 years, they didn't have a temple. They don't have a temple now. The temple was destroyed. The Herod's temple was destroyed by, by the Romans in 70 AD. And so they don't have a temple. And so God is not able to bless that nation the way he could bless that nation if they had a temple. And that's the case that he makes next. Look down at verse number 15. He says, and now carefully consider from this day forward, from, from before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. He's trying to encourage them. Before you had this temple, I was not in a position to bless you because there was nothing, no way to, to, to cover your sin. And that's really all they did in, in that dispensation. They covered their sin. They didn't pay for, atone for their sin. Christ atoned for their sin uh, some 500 years later. Uh, when he died on the cross. But he says, and now carefully consider from this day forward, from before the stone was laid upon stone in the, in the temple of the Lord. Since those days when one came to a heap of, of 20 ephahs, but there were 10. When, they, when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 baths from the press, but there were only 20. I, and the reason was that I struck you with blight and mildew and hell in everything that you did, in all the labors of your hand. In other words, I curse what you did. I curse what you did because you were living in sin. He says, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward. Now we've laid the foundation of the temple and you're building the temple. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. See, that's when God... Re that's when the line, where they reached the line where God could bless them again. Consider it. Think about it. Think about why you're building this temple. You're building this temple because I love you and I want to bless you. But I've got, something has to be done with your sin. And so what you're doing is of utmost importance. It's the most important thing you can do in your life is to build this temple. So you'll be in the position to be blessed in this 
Is the seed still in the barn? And yet the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive trees have not yielded fruit. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Because you've got a temple now. You've got a temple now. And, uh, you know, I think that's why God is able to bless his children so much now. Because we are the temples of God. And our temple has been purified. Our way of cleansing our sins has been given to us by Jesus Christ through the cross by his shed blood. And so we have a way to be in right standing with God. We can be blessed by God. And I'm not talking so much about material blessings here, although those those do come our way as born-again believers. But mainly spiritual blessings. We're in a position to be blessed spiritually. I mean, I'd much rather be blessed spiritually than materially. I mean, I like both ways, but if I can get it. But, but, but if I've got to have one or the other, I want spiritual blessings. And only when our sin is dealt with are we in a position to receive those spiritual blessings from the Lord. And that's why it's so important to... to always have our eyes on the cross to always realize that that we can't purify ourselves we can't make ourselves holy i mean you can suck it up and live as as righteously as you possibly can for about 10 minutes and then you're gonna have an evil thought and you're gonna be toast you're gonna be impure you're gonna have that sewage in your system and that makes you impure and that takes you out of fellowship with the Lord. The reason I stay in fellowship with the Lord isn't because I confess my sin. The reason I stay in fellowship with the Lord is because the blood of Christ cleanses me of all unrighteousness. And I'm purified, and I'm always purified by the Lord. I confess my sins to get saved. And I do confess sins. We, you know, God is, the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting us of our sins. But that doesn't, but my confession doesn't cleanse me. The blood of Christ cleanses me. My confession is just the natural reaction when the Lord says, George, you shouldn't have acted like that I say I don't say no Lord you're wrong (laughs) I say Lord you're exactly right help me to never do that again and then I keep doing it and he keeps forgiving me he keeps cleansing me if I do it too much he spanks me but he's still I'm cleansed and I'm in a position to be blessed verse number 20 and again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, now he's going back to this end times prophecy. Hey, this little temple, you guys are, you, you got it down now. You know what it's for? And I'm in a position to bless you, but not anywhere near as much as I'm going to be able to bless you in the future. Because one day I will shake the heavens and the earth. Tell Zerubbabel this. And tells Zerubbabel how important he is to my plan. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the great tribulation. I will overthrow the chariots and the armies and and all those who ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down. Every one of them by the sword of his brother. And then he talks about the millennium. Look at verse number 23. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord who can do anything. When you see the, the Jehovah Sabiot, that's, that's in the context. The Lord who has all power. He's over all the armies of heaven, over all the angels of heaven. I mean, our, I've heard that our American president is the most powerful man in the world. That's a joke. Compared to the Lord, he has zero power. 
Kim Jong-un or whatever that little fat guy's name is. Rocket man. I love what Trump calls it. Rocket man. He has no power to do anything the Lord doesn't allow him to do. Because the Lord is the Lord of the host. He has all power. And now he promises Zerubbabel. Hang in there, Zerubbabel. Because you're very important to my plan. I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, a sign for my kingdom. You're going to be a sign for my kingdom. You're part of my kingdom, a major part of my kingdom. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. I have chosen you to be a forerunner to none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you go over to Matthew chapter 1 and you look in verse number 12 and there you will see the name Zerubbabel. And there you will see his father's name. Sheotel. And what an honor. What an honor those two men had to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And when he comes, when he comes in that day, this whole earth, Everyone on this earth will be purified. We will be clean and we'll be holy. You know, right now we're positionally clean and holy. We're made righteous by his blood, but we're going to live out our holiness. Everything will be purified. And the Lord will be able in a position at that point to bless us beyond our wildest imagination to bless us with great peace with great joy and with great contentment and I say Maranatha Lord Jesus let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we just thank you for the great hope we see of your second coming right here in this little book of Haggai that was written 500 years before you came to this earth the first time Lord, there's so much encouragement here because, Lord, we all know that without your blood, we pollute everything. Our souls are polluted. Our minds are polluted. Lord, we just ask for your cleansing power to keep us clean. We know you will until you give us those new bodies in glory. And we see you on your throne. Lord, that's the temple we look forward to, the temple of your body on this throne with all the fullness of God dwelling in you. Lord, we long to reach out and touch you and see you and be part of your kingdom. Only by your grace, Lord, can we do that. Only by the sacrifice you've made for us. We thank you for that sacrifice through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.